Section one of the Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume two by James Boswell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Boswell's Life of Johnson, including Boswell's Journal of a Tour to the Hebrides and Johnson's Diary of a Journey into North Wales. Edited by George Birkbeck Hill, Doctor of Civil Law, Pembroke College, Oxford in six volumes volume two life seventeen sixty five to seventeen seventy six contents of volume two life of samuel johnson doctor of laws november seventeen sixty five to march seventeen seventy six appendices a autograph records by johnson seventeen sixty six in the bodleian library b johnson's sentiments towards his fellow subjects in america the life of samuel johnson lld in 1764 and 1765 it should seem that Dr. Johnson was so busily employed with his edition of Shakespeare as to have had little leisure for any other literary exertion, or indeed even for private correspondence. Footnote. Had he been busily employed, he would no doubt have finished the edition in a few months. He himself had recorded at Easter 1765 my time has been unprofitably spent and seems as a dream that has left nothing behind prayers and meditations page sixty one and a footnote he did not favour me with a single letter for more than two years for which it will appear that he afterwards apologised he was however at all times ready to give assistance to his friends and others in revising their works and in writing for them or greatly improving their dedications in that courtly species of composition no man excelled dr johnson though the loftiness of his mind prevented him from ever dedicating in his own person he wrote a very great number of dedications for others Footnote. Dedications had been commonly used as a means of getting money by flattery. Isaac Disraeli, in his Calamities of Authors, says, Fuller's church history is disgraced by twelve particular dedications. It was an expedient to procure dedication fees, for publishing books by subscription was an art not yet discovered. The price of the dedication of a play was, he adds, in the time of George I, twenty guineas. So much then at least Johnson lost by not dedicating Irene. However, when he addressed the plan of his dictionary to Lord Chesterfield, he certainly came very near a dedication. Boswell in the hypochondriac writes, my own part i own i am proud enough but i do not relish the stateliness of not dedicating at all i prefer pleasure to pride and it appears to me that there is much pleasure in honestly expressing one's admiration esteem or affection in a public manner and in thus contributing to the happiness of another by making him better pleased with himself london magazine for seventeen eighty two his dedications were dedications of friendship, not of flattery or civility. He dedicated his tour to Corsica, to Paoli, 
his tour to the hebrides to malone and his life of johnson to sir joshua reynolds goldsmith in like manner distressed though he so often was dedicated his traveller to his brother the deserted village to sir joshua and she stoops to conquer to johnson end of footnote some of these persons who were favoured with them are unwilling should be mentioned from a too anxious apprehension as i think that they might be suspected of having received larger assistance footnote a passage in boswell's letter to malone of january the twenty ninth seventeen ninety one croker's boswell page eight two nine shows that it is reynolds of whom he is writing i am he writes to cancel a leaf of the first volume having found that though sir joshua certainly assured me he had no objection to my mentioning that johnson wrote a dedication for him he now thinks otherwise in that leaf occurs the mention of johnson having written to dr leland thanking the university of dublin for their diploma in the first edition this mention of the letter is followed by the passage above about dedications it was no doubt reynolds's dedication of his discourses to the king in the year seventeen seventy eight that johnson wrote the first sentence is in a high degree johnsonian the regular progress of cultivated life is from necessaries to accommodations from accommodations to ornaments End of footnote too anxious apprehension as i think that they might be suspected of having received larger assistance and some after all the diligence i have bestowed have escaped my inquiries he told me a great many years ago he believed he had dedicated to all the royal family round footnote that is to say he added to the last generation of the royal family see post april the fifteenth seventeen seventy three we may hope that the royal family were not all like the duke of gloucester who when gibbon brought him the second volume of the decline and fall received him with much good nature and affability saying to him as he laid the quarto on the table another d blank d thick square book always scribble 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 a eh, mr gibbon Best's memorial in the footnote and it was indifferent to him what was the subject of the work dedicated provided it were innocent he once dedicated some music for the german flute to edward duke of york in writing dedications for others he considered himself as by no means speaking his own sentiments notwithstanding his long silence i never omitted to write to him when i had anything worthy of communicating i generally kept copies of my letters to him that i might have a full view of our correspondence and never be at a loss to understand any reference in his letters footnote such care was needless boswell complained post june the twenty fourth seventeen seventy four that Johnson did not answer his letters, but only sent him returns. End footnote. He kept 
the greater part of mine very carefully, and a short time before his death was attentive enough to seal them up in bundles and order them to be delivered to me, which was accordingly done. Amongst them I found one of which I had not made a copy, and which I own I read with pleasure at the distance of almost twenty years. It is dated November 1765 at the palace of Pascal Paoli in Corte, the capital of Corsica, and is full of generous enthusiasm. Footnote. On one of the days that my ague disturbed me least, I walked from the convent to Corte purposely to write a letter to Mr. Samuel Johnson. I told my revered friend that from a kind of superstition, agreeable in a certain degree to him as well as to myself, I had, during my travels, written to him from Loca Solemnia, places in some measure sacred, that as I had written to him from the tomb of Melanchthon, see post June 28, 1777, sacred to learning and piety, I now wrote to him from the palace of Pascal Paoli, sacred to wisdom and liberty. Boswell's Tour to Corsica, page 218. How delighted would Boswell have been had he lived to see the way in which he is spoken of by the biographer of Paoli. En traversant la Méditerranée, sur de frères navires, pour venir s'asseoir au foyer de la nationalité corse, des hommes graves tels que Boswell et Volney obéissant sans doute à un sentiment bien plus élevé qu'au besoin vulgaire d'une pure curiosité. Histoire de Pascal Paoli, par A. Arrighi, volume 1, page 231. By every Corsican of any education, the name of Boswell is known and honoured. One of them told me that it was in Boswell's pages that Paoli still lived for them. He informed me also of a family which still preserved by tradition the remembrance of Boswell's visit to their ancestral home. End footnote. I now wrote to him from the palace of Pascal Paoli, sacred to wisdom and liberty. After giving a sketch of what I had seen and heard in that island, it proceeded thus. I dare to call this a spirited tour. I dare to challenge your approbation. This letter produced the following answer, which I found on my arrival at Paris. Ah, Mr. Boswell, chez Mr. Waters, banquier à Paris. Dear sir, apologies are seldom of any use. We will delay till your arrival the reasons, good or bad, which have made me such a sparing and ungrateful correspondent. Be assured for the present that nothing has lessened either the esteem or love with which I dismissed you at Harwich. Both have been increased by all that I have been told of you by yourself or others, and when you return, you will return to an unaltered and, I hope, unalterable friend. Footnote. The twelve following lines of this letter were published by Boswell in his Corsica, page 219, without Johnson's leave. See post March the 23rd, 1768. Temple, to whom the book had been shown before publication, had, it should seem, advised Boswell to omit this extract. 
Boswell replied, Your remarks are of great service to me, but I must have my great preceptor, Mr. Johnson, introduced. Letters of Boswell, page 122. In writing to excuse himself to Johnson, post April the 23rd, 1768, he says, The temptation to publishing it was so strong. End of footnote. All that you have to fear from me is the vexation of disappointing me. No man loves to frustrate expectations which have been formed in his favour, and the pleasure which I promise myself from your journals and remarks is so great that perhaps no degree of attention or discernment will be sufficient to afford it. Come home, however, and take your chance. I long to see you and to hear you and hope that we shall not be so long separated again. Come home and expect such a welcome as is due to him whom a wise and noble curiosity has led where perhaps no native of this country ever was before. Footnote. Tell your court, said Paoli to Boswell, what you have seen here. They will be curious to ask you. A man come from Corsica will be like a man come from the Antipodes. Boswell's Corsica, page 188. He was not indeed the first native of this country to go there. He found in Bastia an Englishwoman of Penrith in Cumberland. When the Highlanders marched through that country in the year 1745, she had married a soldier of the French Piquets. In the very midst of all the confusion and danger, and when she could hardly understand one word he said. Ibid, page 226. Boswell nowhere quotes Mrs. Barbold's fine lines on Corsica. Perhaps he was ashamed of the praise of the wife of a little Presbyterian parson who kept an infant boarding school. See post under December the 17th, 1775. Yet he must have been pleased when he read Such were the working thoughts which swelled the breast of generous Boswell when with nobler aim and views beyond the narrow beaten track by trivial fancy trod, he turned his course from polished gallia's soft delicious fails, etc. Mrs. Barbell's Poems, Volume 1, page 2, and a footnote. I have no news to tell you that can deserve your notice, nor would I willingly lessen the pleasure that any novelty may give you at your return. I am afraid we shall find it difficult to keep among us a mind which has been so long feasted with variety. But let us try what esteem and kindness can effect. As your father's liberality has indulged you with so long a ramble, I doubt not but you will think his sickness, or even his desire to see you, a sufficient reason for hastening your return. The longer we live, and the more we think, the higher value we learn to put on the friendship and tenderness of parents and of friends. Parents we can have but once, and he promises himself too much, who enters life with the expectation of finding many friends. Upon some motive I hope that you will be here soon, and are willing to think 
that it will be an inducement to your return that it is sincerely desired by dear sir your affectionate humble servant samuel johnson johnson's court fleet street january the fourteenth seventeen sixty six I returned to London in February, and found Dr. Johnson in a good house in Johnson's Court, Fleet Street. Footnote. Murphy, in the Monthly Review, thus describes Johnson's life in Johnson's Court after he had received his pension. His friend Levitt, his physician in ordinary, paid his daily visits with assiduity, attended at all hours, made tea all the morning, talked what he had to say and did not expect an answer, or, if occasion required it, was mute, officious, and ever complying. There Johnson sat every morning, receiving visits, hearing the topics of the day, and indolently trifling away the time. Chymistry, afforded some amusement. Hawkins, Life, page 452, says, An upper room which had the advantages of a good light and free air he fitted up for a study. A silver standish and some useful plate, which he had been prevailed on to accept as pledges of kindness from some who most esteemed him, together with furniture that would not have disgraced a better dwelling, banished those appearances of squalid indigence which, in his less happy days, disgusted those who came to see him. Some of the plate Johnson had bought. See post, April the 15th, 1781, end of Dr. Johnson in a good house in Johnson's Court, Fleet Street, in which he had accommodated Miss Williams with an apartment on the ground floor, while Mr. Levitt occupied his post in the garret. His faithful Francis was still attending upon him. He received me with much kindness. The fragments of our first conversation, which I have preserved, are these. I told him that Voltaire, in a conversation with me, had distinguished Pope and Dryden thus. Pope drives a handsome chariot with a couple of neat trim nags. Dryden, a coach and six stately horses. Johnson. I say the truth is, they both drive coaches and six, but Dryden's horses are either galloping or stumbling. Pope's go at a steady, even trot. Footnote. It is remarkable that Mr. Gray has employed somewhat the same image to characterise Dryden. He indeed furnishes his car with but two horses, but they are of ethereal race. Behold where Dryden's less presumptuous car wide o'er the fields of glory bear two courses of ethereal race with necks in thunder clothed and long resounding pace. Ode on the Progress of Poesy, Boswell. In the Life of Pope, Works, Volume 8, page 324, Johnson says, the style of Dryden is capricious and varied. That of Pope is cautious and uniform. Dryden obeys the motions of his own mind. Pope constrains his mind to his own rules of composition. Dryden is sometimes vehement and rapid. Pope is always smooth, uniform and gentle. 
He said of Goldsmith's Traveller, which had been published in my absence, there has not been so fine a poem since Pope's time. And here it is proper to settle with authentic precision what has long floated in public report as to Johnson's being himself the author of a considerable part of that poem. Much, no doubt, both of the sentiments and expression were derived from conversation with him, and it was certainly submitted to his friendly revision. But in the year 1783, he, at my request, marked with a pencil the lines which he had furnished, which are only, line 420th, to stop too fearful and too faint to go, and the concluding ten lines, except the last couplet but one, which I distinguish by the italic character. How small of all that human hearts endure that part which kings or laws can cause or cure, footnote, in the original laws or kings, end of footnote, still to ourselves in every place consigned, our own felicity we make or find, footnote, the mind in its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven paradise lost book one line two five four calum non animum mutant qui trans mare current horace epistles book one epistle eleven line twenty seven end of footnote with secret course which no loud storms annoy glides the smooth current of domestic joy in italics the lifted axe the agonizing wheel luke's iron crown and damien's bed of steel end of italics to men remote from power but rarely known leave reason faith and conscience all our own he added these are all of which i can be sure footnote i once inadvertently put him wrote reynolds in a situation from which none but a man of perfect integrity could extricate himself. I pointed at some lines in The Traveller, which I told him I was sure he wrote. He hesitated a little. During this hesitation, I recollected myself that, as I knew he would not lie, I put him in a cleft stick, and I should have had but my due if he had given me a rough answer. But he only said, Sir, I did not write them, but that you may not imagine that I have wrote more than I really have, the utmost I have wrote in that poem, to the best of my recollection, is not more than eighteen lines, in square brackets, nine seems the actual number. It must be observed, there was then an opinion about town that Dr. Johnson wrote the whole poem for his friend, who was then, in a manner, an unknown writer. Taylor's Reynolds, see also Post, April the ninth, seventeen seventy eight. For each line of the traveller, Goldsmith was paid elevenpence one farthing. Johnson's present, therefore, of nine lines was, if reckoned in money, worth eight shillings and fivepence one farthing. End of footnote. They bear a small proportion to the whole, which consists of four hundred and thirty-eight verses. Goldsmith, in the couplet which he inserted, mentions Luke as a person well known, and 
superficial readers have passed it over quite smoothly, while those of more attention have been as much perplexed by Luke as by Lydiot in the vanity of human wishes. The truth is that Goldsmith himself was in a mistake. In the Res Publica Hungarian, footnote, Res Publica et Status Reini Hungariae, ex officina Elzeviriana, 1634, page 136. This work belongs to the series of republics mentioned by Johnson, post under April the 29, 1776. There is an account of a desperate rebellion in the year 1514, headed by two brothers of the name of Zek, George, and Luke. When it was quelled, George, not Luke, was punished by his head being encircled with a red-hot iron crown, corona candiscente feria coronatur. Luke had been taken simply for the euphony of the line. He was one of two brothers Doza. The origin of the mistake in square brackets of sec for Doza is curious. The two brothers belonged to one of the native races of Transylvania called Seclers or Seclers, which descriptive edition follows their names in the German biographical authorities, and this, through abridgment and misapprehension in subsequent books, came at last to be substituted for the family name, Forster's Goldsmith. The Iron Crown was not the worst of the tortures inflicted, end of footnote. The same severity of torture was exercised on the Earl of Athol, one of the murderers of King James I of Scotland. Dr. Johnson at the same time favoured me by marking the lines which he furnished to Goldsmith's deserted village, which are only the last four. That trade's proud empire hastes to swift decay as ocean sweeps the laboured mole away while self-dependent power can time defy, as rocks resist the billows and the sky. Talking of education, people have nowadays, said he, got a strange opinion that everything should be taught by lectures. Now, I cannot see that lectures can do as much good as reading the books from which the lectures are taken. I know nothing that can be best taught by lectures except where experiments are to be shown. Footnote. See post, April the 15th, 1781. In 1748, Johnson had written, Works, Volume 5, page 231, at a time when so many schemes of education had been projected, so many schools opened Goldsmith, in his Life of Nash, published in 1762, describes the lectures at Bath on the arts and sciences, which are frequently taught there in a pretty superficial manner, so as not to tease the understanding, while they afford the imagination some amusement. Cunningham's Goldsmith's works, and a footnote. You may teach chymistry by lectures. You might teach making of shoes by lectures. Footnote. Perhaps Gibbon had read this passage at the time when he wrote in his memoirs, 
It has indeed been observed, nor is the observation absurd, that excepting in experimental sciences, which demand a costly apparatus and a dexterous hand, the many valuable treatises that have been published on every subject of learning may now supersede the ancient mode of oral instruction. Gibbon's Miscellaneous Works, see post, March the 20th, 1776, note, end of footnote, end of section 1.